Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's show we are going to be talking about brand management in CPG that is brand management in consumer products and goods industry and our guest on today's show is Uttam Mukherjee who is currently the brand manager for Fabric Care at Procter and Gamble prior to that Uttam was senior assistant brand manager for Tide a very well known washing detergent again at Procter and Gamble in terms of his educational background Uttam has a bachelor's in chemistry from St Stephen's College in Delhi University in India and he also has an MBA in strategy and communications from Temple School of Business Carnegie Mellon University All right so without further ado let's welcome Uttam Hey, hey Sonali, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. For sure. No, thank you so much for taking the time. You're on the East Coast, so I understand it's a little bit late for you. We're recording this at 10 p.m. Uttam's time. <laughs> And I remember the last time we spoke, you were traveling. So are you still on the road or you're back? No, I'm finally back after about two weeks of uh, constant traveling. So happy to be home for a few days at least. Oh yeah, like does your job require a lot of traveling? It's it's in spurts. Um it doesn't require constant traveling, but if there's projects that need travel or if we're constantly kind of doing research and that requires us to go to different places then yes. Oh, interesting. I guess to talk to con- customers or both customers meaning our retailers, consumers meaning the end consumers. Um it's a mixture of all those kind of people as well as other part- partners that we work with like our agencies or other people conducting projects with for us like contract manufacturers or someone oh gotcha okay no this is good because uh, we will be getting into more of these details in terms of what is your day to day like but before we go into the details of brand management why don't you just give us a little bit of an introduction and tell us about your career path so far yeah absolutely so after graduating from uh, business school in carnegie mellon's tepper school of business i joined uh, procter and gamble i had, had interned for them in the summer of 2012 now uh, which seems like it's eons ago but <laughs> yeah. i i interned for them in summer of 2012 on the tide brand uh for those of you that aren't familiar with the tide brand please go and buy it it's a laundry detergent <laughs> you're um, a very good brand and, manager <laughs> <laughs> exactly and so uh i interned with them really enjoyed it um came back for full time in 2013 in the summer of 2013 and was assigned back to the the Tide brand um i worked on the delivery side of the business which in uh, our terms essentially means anything that is currently in market or less than a year away from being in market so a lot of current business uh, analytical work a lot of uh, speaking to customer teams a lot of speak uh, you know executing projects building marketing plans um, executing mm. those marketing plans um etc cetera, etc cetera. we can dive into that in a little bit yeah. so i i did that for 3 years and got promoted in july of this year oh congratulations and, <laughs> and so i am uh the brand manager right now on fabric care i uh I, and for those of you that don't know this fabric care is essentially procter and gamble's way of defining anything that takes care of your fabric so laundry detergent um fabric softeners scent boosters dryer sheets etc etc so any products that you would use on your fabrics essentially right and 
So yeah, I, I'm a brand manager in Fabricare and I work on the innovation side of the business. So um, I've recently been moved into this role, which is um, really interesting. And it, it's I'm responsible for a lot of new innovation and disruptive innovation for the category. Yeah, no, sounds really exciting. So quick question about your career path and sort of what was your thought process when you decided to get into <clears throat> brand management? Why brand management? Uh Great question. I, I honestly, it was, it was by chance, uh, complete transparency. I was, I had come from KPMG and I was doing process consulting and internal audits and those kind of things for them in their New York office before my business school. And I honestly thought I wanted to go back into management consulting, um, just to see what that side of the what so that that side of the world was like, you know. And obviously, hearing people coming from BCG, Bain, McKinsey, you are naturally attracted to that kind of a lifestyle and job profile, etc. Okay. Um, but actually, when I first joined business school, I was speaking to a second year student who had just finished his summer internship on Tide, also, and okay. um, there was something about the work that he did that really attracted me to uh, marketing in general and brand management. And I think what it was was really the the combination or the duality of strategic thinking, creative thinking, um, as well as kind of layered on with analytical uh, approach to problems. Um, so it's that kind of perfect mixture that was interesting to me. And mm. I, I like to believe I'm a little bit more of a creative person, but I love strategy also. So uh-huh. I, I was craving for that kind of uh, combination. Um, and also coming from the consulting world before I, I didn't feel like I got to actually implement projects. I just got to, you know, yeah write recommendations or those kind of things. And uh, I love kind of seeing a physical product right now. I, I love kind of seeing it in market and end to end almost. And so I think that was really what attracted me to brand management at that time. I think what, um, you know, what people don't understand about brand management and, and marketing, at least in the CPG industry, is that it truly is the general management track. It's the center of the hub. It's where, you know, that is the the leaders of, of the company will come out from the brand management and marketing organization anyway. Yeah, yeah. That that was really interesting to me. No, that what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And uh, I was in consulting myself before. I mean, now I'm at Google and I, I, I know so many consultants and I felt the same way that you miss out on the actual operations slash execution piece of the thing. So you come up with all of these grandiose plans, but you're not really involved in the actual fruition of those plans, which if that's the kind of thing that interests you, it's missing in consulting. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad you brought up the whole how brand management is on the general management track, because as an outsider, if I hear the term brand management, it does not immediately clear to me that this is sort of more of a GM slash owner kind of role as opposed to someone who's purely focused on the brand. And I know that when you and I chatted about this podcast, you talked about how the brand management role in CPG is sort of like the product management role in tech. So can you talk a little bit about what does a brand manager in CPG do? Yeah, absolutely. I will. And I think it's even more confusing also because in a lot of companies and even in P&G, it, it used to be called marketing. And marketing to a lot of people, when you just speak to uh, a common person on the street, will tell you that marketing is TV advertising. Right. And that is that is such a small portion of what <laughs> we do that um, P&G internally has also tried to rebrand the function into the brand function, really. It's not it's no longer called marketing. Yeah. So what we what we are responsible for is at the end of the day is the brand health, which is the equity of the brand, but also the P&L of the brand. So on a day-to-day basis, we are managing anything that touches those two portions of the business. So whether it is 
equity in the mind of the consumer. So how are we showing up on shelf, in store, uh, online, in in digital, social media, TV, print, etc. Mm. As well as the PL portion, you know, how, how much are we selling? Where are we selling? What's our share relative to competition? What's driving this, the growth? What is what is driving the the lack of growth? Um, how can we accelerate growth, etc. So uh, all of those metrics also we constantly look at on a day-to-day basis. Right. At, right. at the end of the day, brand managers are responsible for the strategy, the vision uh, of the brand. And so that means we, on a day-to-day basis, we are working with all of our cross-functional partners, whether that is our uh, consumers research people, our R&D people, our um PR people, our sales organization, all of those people, we're working with them on a day-to-day basis yeah. to ensure that we're bringing to life all the, the vision and the strategy that we want to for the brand. Right. Okay, this is really, really helpful. And you gave the answer in a very structured way, so it's easy for me to follow. But I do have follow-up questions for you. So sure. uh, when you say equity of the brand, as, as you said, like you're lo- looking at two key pieces, the equity of the brand and the P&L of the brand. So equity of the brand... What does that mean? I mean, essentially, it's the the health of the brand, right? So the we we consider the equity. If you if you would if you try to value a business today, whether it is Uber, Google, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they always take into account revenue, profits, but they also take into account this ambiguous thing called the equity. And essentially, what does the brand stand for, and what does it value in the eyes of the consumers, right? So, what are consumers going to be willing to pay for that brand? And as you think about a brand, the, all of the brands that P&G have, um, the equity is I so see. strong, whether it's Gillette, Pampers, uh, Old Spice, Venus, et cetera, et cetera. All of us have such a strong brand equity right. that that's kind of a, that's a sign of the, the health of the brand right. and, and what, it, what, what kind of a premium or what kind of a, what, what we can command in the market with, from our consumers and our retailer partners also. Okay, yeah, no, so as a layman, I, I, I see what you're saying, which is that, you know, something like Google, as an example, or Uber, they have very strong brand equity. People associate a lot of exactly. value with those brands. But is there an actual metric that you use to measure the brand equity? So we actually do have equity scores also. Um, it's a, we, we run equity health checks on a month-to-month basis to okay. understand um, you know, how are con- uh, consumers perceiving the brand, whether that is, for example, without being uh, aided in their response, do they recall that Tide is one of the la- top laundry detergents? Right. Yes, great. That is unaided awareness, um, purchase intent, those kind of things. All those metrics go into a brand health equity uh, ch- uh, check, which is the score that we look at every month. I see. The, the other things that obviously help drive this also are things like, how many people bought our brand today? Did we grow the number of households that we are in? Right, that just means that our brand health is just better and better, which also impacts. And the reason why it's so closely tied to the PNLs because that impacts our revenue and our PNL also. Right, right. Okay, now that makes a lot of sense. So, as the brand manager of a product of a brand, you are sort of tracking that brand score on a regular basis and see how it's growing and if there's any change. Why did that change come about? And uh, and I'm sh- and I'm sure you have a team working with you to help you figure that out. Absolutely. Right. And PNL, I guess, is pretty straightforward where, where you're looking at the market share and the growth and the margins and how you can improve on all of these fronts. But then sort of your follow-up thing was like overall, as the brand manager, you're responsible for coming up with the strategy and the vision for your brand and then making sure that that gets executed upon in a given time frame. 
So, exactly. So can you give us an example of what the vision of a brand in CPG might look like? I mean, you don't yeah, have to share the vision absolutely. for tonight unless you can. <laughs> no, absolutely. I'll give you an, an old case study maybe and which will help um, yeah. paint, paint the picture, right? So Old Spice. Old Spice a couple of years ago was a brand that was struggling. It was not growing household penetration. It was not uh, growing revenue. It wasn't uh, doing well at all in terms of sales. All of the customers were not happy with the brand and were uh, were not giving it as much shelf space as it should. In general, it was a brand that consumers, uh, that older men actually enjoyed. And the brand had gotten old with those men. So what was happening was that they had an issue with getting more consumers at the entry level, right? So younger boys, younger men, et cetera, so that the brand could keep on growing and those people would also grow with the brand. So so an example of that, um, of the strategy would have been, how do we grow household penetration with male consumers 18 to 34, Hmm. right? And so the brand rallied around that really. And that's when they came up with the smell like a man, man campaign (laughs) with as I am Mustafa. And so, for example, in that, the case study goes like this, that they they knew that they wanted to track males 18 to 34. But if you think about that segment, you can divide into two. One is college students and one is young young men, uh, professionals who are just Hmm. out of college and working for the first time. The college students, they're not doing their purchases. Their moms are usually doing their purchases, mm-hmm. um, at least the first time. And then, and even before college, the moms are doing it. And then the young professionals, if they're in relationships, usually the woman's buying the products at home. So the reason why they came up with, uh, so when they had that insight, they went to market with a commercial strategy of targeting women. They weren't speaking to the man. If you look oh, at the commercial, okay. they were speaking to the woman. And what they were asking the woman to do is ask uh, ask themselves whether they wanted their men to smell like men or not. Uh, and if they didn't, yeah. they could smell like women because the other insight that they found was that these men were actually just using women's products in the shower because that was just what was in the shower. <laughs> yeah. So okay. it was kind of the combination of that the the vision, right, the strategy, yeah. the go to market technique, and then kind of how it came to life uh, in in market. And then from a from other tangible points, that I believe they refreshed the packaging and the the, the style of communication, um, you know, the, the voice of the, of the brand, etc. So all of those aspects yeah. came into yeah. it. No, this is a great, great example. I think it really highlights what a brand manager in CPG would be working on. I think what, what really stands out for me, though, is, and I think it probably explains a little bit of, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of the, why it's called a brand manager, as opposed to a product manager, is that, when you found out or when the Old Spice team found out that most of the people who were buying the brand were older men as opposed to younger men, all of the change that was done was via advertising and marketing, right? As opposed to any change in the product itself. And maybe that was because the product was great, right? All you needed to do was change your go-to-market strategy. Whereas I think in tech generally, you know, I have no idea whether that's right or wrong, but generally product managers and even companies are very product focused. So they'll try and change the product more than anything. 
So, so not necessarily. I think when, uh, sorry, not necessarily when it comes to the Old Spice example. I, I believe that there were changes to certain aspects of the brand uh, from the product standpoint that also went with okay. that. Okay. The reason, the reason why it's called brand management versus product management is, in in our minds, product management would be very focused on the product efficiency and uh, compatibility for consumers. Mm. Right. So, if you just change the product, so for example, if you took Tide and you just made it a better cleaning performance, that would be product management. Why it's called brand management, though, is because that's one aspect of what we have to be responsible for. But there's other aspects okay. also, like, do we have the right packaging? Do we have the right communication? Do we have the right uh, price points? Do we have the right P&L structure? And so all of those things encompassing is everything that touches the brand. Okay. We don't talk about it as products because every product has multiple, uh, every brand has multiple products, but we don't have uh, multiple brands under each brand manager, right? That's the, that's the difference I would say. And I think in, in the tech world, if I'm not mistaken, again, I'm not that familiar with the tech (laughs) world, but in the tech world, you can probably make tech changes and that truly is, uh, sorry, you can make product changes and that truly is the experience that the consumer has, right? But I think in the brand, in the CPG world, you have to do more than just change the product for the consumer to experience your brand. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, I mean, we don't, and I don't want to make this like a brand management versus product management discussion, but just sort of to close that, close the loop on that one. I think a lot depends on how the product management role is structured in a company. It varies a lot, but like in a lot of companies like Facebook, like Google, a PM is, I think, very similar to what you're describing, where uh, you are the owner of the product. And you have to figure out not just what to build, but how to launch it, what the commercial strategy would be. And of course, you'll be working with a lot of people to figure that out. But ultimately, the PM owns the product and its success in the market, which I think is sort of what you're describing. It's exactly what I'm describing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So this is really helpful, Uttam. I think what would be good also is if you can share an example of a project and sort of walk us through the high level stages that would take place in that project and the various activities that you would engage in, in each of these stages. Yeah, sure. So I just launched Tide Pure Clean, which uh, for those of you that are not familiar with it, uh, again, go and buy it. It is the first entry of Tide in the bio-based organic natural kind of world mm-hmm. um before before this tide hadn't really played in this space and it was a growing segment so we wanted to enter the segment so you know when when we first started this project it was we were looking at the the landscape of consumer landscape and retailer landscape and we realized that there was a growing segment not only from the consumer demand standpoint but even from a retailer demand standpoint that they were giving more shelf space they were giving more awareness to these these natural organic brands and till till maybe a couple of years ago it wasn't so prominent in the laundry aisle and you know it's been prominent in health in beauty in food etc but the laundry aisle has kind of not had that much disruption from that standpoint so the first thing we did was assess the landscape um after that the next stage of the project was to to understand from consumers whether they were even interested in something like this, you know, not even knowing whether we would be tied branded or anything, whether they would even want to get a natural detergent, get another bio-based detergent in the market. Right. So, and then the, the step off that was uh, product development. 
so once we knew that they wanted something, we had to come up with what would how how could we get to a level of performance, but also keep a high level of bio-based content. And so that was a, a long journey for our research right. and development team because right. it's not an easy thing to do. A lot of the products today in the market that ha- were there before we had entered were actually very low performing but high bio-based. So they were consumers were making one trade-off or the other. And that's an insight that we saw from consumers. So, you know, another step in that process development was what is that insight? Mm-hmm. And uh, insights are really important to us for a lot of things, for, for us to anchor ourselves in what the consumer need is really yeah. and kind of what the communication strategy would be. Yeah. And so that insight of, you know, I have to trade something off right now. It's either saving the world or saving my clothes and I choose saving the world. That was a very important insight for us. I see, so, yeah. So we wanted to make sure that consumers didn't have to make a choice. They didn't have to make any trade-offs. And so we asked our R&D team to you know, develop the product that would meet that uh, expectation. Yeah. The next, the next step for us was once we had the product, we had the insight, was developing the design. Um, you know, in, in this category, in this segment, there was prototypes that Tide was not very comfortable with, like you know, um, translucent bottles, white bottles, et cetera, et cetera. And we usually stick to oh, our wow. main equity yeah. colors of orange um, yeah. in usually in our go-to-market. So there's a lot of design element changes that we had to do, um, iterative learning with consumers to understand whether this is exactly what they wanted. We did iterative learning on the sense spaces also on the key claims of what we were going to communicate on packaging as well as in store and on other media. Right. Um, so that was another big step. And then um, after that, I think a lot of the focus then shifts to how do we go to market, right? So yeah. how do we sell this into customer teams to retailers? Right. Will Walmart buy it? Or, will Walmart buy it or not? How much will they buy it from us? You know, where will they put it on shelf? What price point are they looking for? What kind of margins are they looking for, etc.? Um, the other big go-to-market aspect, obviously, is all of our communication strategies. So, yeah. you know, what is our TV advertisement going to look like? What is our print advertising? Our, you know, our, you know, our search buys on, on yeah. Google. Um, all of those <laughs> kind of things. And then also another big portion is what is our PR plan look like? You know how are media outlets going to take this uh, this message track and and run with it? So that, then once our focus switches to go to market, um, then you can we kind of started enrolling a lot of our agencies that work on these projects mm. with us. Right, right, right. And um, and then and then after that is done, then you know in the launch and post launch, it's a lot of tracking. So how is the product doing in market? What tools are working better than others? Why is this growing or why is it not growing? Which retailers are doing well, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. And that's where all the metrics that you talked about, PNL, and I'm sure you guys have KPIs, you're tracking all of them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Ex- so this this is a long process, right? And there's a lot of stuff that has to happen throughout this. Like generally, how long would this thing last for? So honestly, it depends from project to project and how big the technological breakthrough is, how big is is the technological breakthrough or are we just doing commercial uh, innovation, right, which is just a change in advertising. Hmm. It really depends from project to project. Um, it could range from anywhere from five years to maybe a year. Um, it I depends see. very, very widely based yeah. on what the technology is attached to it and whether that's going to take us a long time to invent. Right. I, I mean, I'm I'm guessing that one of the big areas that takes a lot of time is the product development time. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I have some, I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of these areas. So the first two stages where you do market assessment and you try to figure out whether the consumer actually wants this or not, and you're trying to figure out the insights, which as you suggested in this one, you found out that consumers wanted to buy something which would save the world as opposed to just clean their clothes. I mean, that's that's really hard to understand, right? So do you guys generally have very big market research teams? And how do you guys get to that insight? So we, we actually don't have big market research teams, but what we do have is an organization, uh, a function within P&G that's solely dedicated to consumer research. They're called the, the CMK team, our consumer market knowledge team. Okay. And uh, actually, P&G was the first company within the CPG space to even come up with that function. And we've been doing it for so long that, you know, I think that those teams and those members of those teams have become really good experts at it. What they're really fantastic at is setting up the right research with the right consumers and mm. then being able to um, digest that information and and cons- and kind of collect it into insights. Uh, to be honest, for this project that I just described, I mean, it was a team of maybe five to 10 of us. And okay. that's all, you know, we spoke to, I want to say about 100 consumers. And that's kind of how we got to uh, the proposition that we did, but we were hands-on. We were listening to consumers as regularly as we could yeah. and coming up and, and kind of trying to digest what the insights would be. Right. So as a brand manager, what is your role here? Is it is it more that, hey, we need to understand this and you're sort of managing the whole thing or are you are you like on the phone with the consumer or observing a focus group? I was I was in the rooms absorbing the focus groups, speaking to the consumers and, mm-hmm. and learning firsthand. I think um, the biggest mistake a brand manager can make is being hands off. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to micromanage, but because you have people who are experts in the space, but not knowing the consumer is the biggest mistake that you can make. You have to be really close to the consumer and understand exactly what their needs are. Otherwise, the decisions that you make about your own brand mm-hmm. are going to be far off from what the consumer wants. Right, right. Okay. So not only are you managing the entire process and making sure that things are, you know, moving along and on time, you're also in the weeds and making sure that you're in touch with everything that's going on. Absolutely. I think it depends on what stage of process and what the level of the product project is. Hmm. Uh, this one was a uh, high priority project for us that you know, we, we had to be in the weeds on it and understand every single aspect of the project. Right, right. So product development process, I mean, I'm sure you have a, a, a dedicated team working on the product. On the GTM side, can you share some examples of the kind of decisions or the kind of debates you might have had? So, for example, pricing or on which shelf should I put this? Because I remember I'm going yeah. back to my cases that I started in business school and there's so much there's so much science behind that. So can you share some examples? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest challenges that we we faced in this project was the pricing. You know, pricing was such a big uh, debate for us, primarily because the competitors in this market were priced all over the place, whether it was a, a cheap detergent that didn't perform well in the natural section or it was a high-end detergent that still didn't perform well but was outside the, the price corridor that we would usually be in. So what we had to do in this case was do a lot of uh, consumer learning again to understand what the price would be that the consumer would be willing to pay for for this product. And that was kind of, you know, a lot of people in this in, in our team had hypothesis or gut feelings that a consumer wouldn't be willing to pay a certain price for it. And then so we had to let the consumer tell us what that was. Um, another another big challenge for us was in the in the laundry category, uh, this product is actually served in two different places. And so understanding which where we should shelf it and why we should shelf it in which place was a big challenge for us also. 
So what did you guys en- end up deciding regarding shelving? Yeah, regarding the shelving, um, actually what we what we ended up doing was shelving in both places. There's a natural section in the laundry aisle and uh, we got placement over there as well as placement in the regular tide aisle. Uh, our going in assumption was that we would only be in the natural aisle, but when we did consumer t- testing with um, with uh, you know mock shelves, we mm-hmm. understood that we needed to be in both places because of the foot traffic and and consumers' willingness to experiment more in the regular section. I see, I see. And these tests, when you conduct them, you would conduct them like in a couple of stores and see what happens. No, these are usually actually conducted in our facilities. Um, oh, okay. Some of these, some of these shelf tests, etc. We have facilities where we mock up shelves and we can get cons- consumers to come through them and walk through them and and we collect data based on that. Oh wow! So you you guys have like a fake Walmart store. <laughs> Kind of, essentially. Oh, that's it's so not cool. as it's not as big though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then and do con- do the consumers know that it's a fake store? Yeah, I mean they they they, they know it's research. That's okay. what they've been signed on for. But depending on how you set the research up, it, it's not biased, right? And okay. I think that's the, the biggest thing for us. Oh, that's pretty awesome. I would love to check that out. But <laughs> okay, but you know another thing which stands out for me is that throughout this process, as a brand manager, you're working on very very different things, right? So whether it's market research or figuring out what should the pricing be or figuring out what innovation you need to make in your product to sell it more, these are very different things, right? So. As a brand manager, are you supposed to be an expert in all of these areas or more of a jack of all trades who can just sort of make sure that you get the right insights from your team members? So this is it's it's an interesting question. And and the reason why I say it's really interesting is because I, I go back to the way that PNG interviews people hmm. um, for for brand management. And what they, they look for is skill sets. The skill sets that they're usually looking for is strategic thinking, analytical thinking. Ability to lead teams, ability to work in cross-functional teams, right? Those are kind of like the four core skills that they're looking for. And so if you think about it, we don't need to know what is the right way to approach a consumer and digest the information. But once we have the information, we need to be able to know that we can get to the right conclusion from that information. And that's the skill set that a brand manager really needs, right? Because I think people can look at the same data two different ways and come to two very different Mm. conclusions. So being grounded in your strategic thinking and then coming up, digesting the information in the right way, coming up with the right conclusion, that's the role of the brand manager and making all those decisions um, and being an effective leader, that's the role. Right. I mean, as as the brand manager for Tide, how big was the team that you were leading? So I, I was never the brand manager for Tide, but um, in in this particular project, for example, where I was uh, one of the commercial leaders for it, um, the team was probably, I want to say about 10 to 15 regular members. And then we had a lot more people working on the product development side. Um, I, I, w- I wouldn't even know how many people were working and it was more than 20, more, probably 50 people working on that side. But do they report to you? So we know in, in this particular case, they don't necessarily report into me but we have a structure where they are uh, responsible for this project to okay. me okay. right so it's kind of uh, a dotted line or indirect reporting is, as you would say um, in 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 the brand management function you have direct reports which are in the brand management function okay. uh, so for example an abm would report into brand manager brand manager reports into our assistant director etc uh, but the people the cross-functional team members that you're working with they have to work with you and you're their leader on the projects 
Gotcha, right. Okay. No, that sounds like a very, very cool role, right? I mean, generally, what is the uh, what is the typical career path like? So do you, do you mean in terms of number of years or do you mean kind of just the, the path upwards? So both, right? So I would imagine that uh, after, once you graduate from business school, what do mm-hmm. you join as? And then uh, generally, like, what is the typical path upwards in what time period? Yeah, so... The first step you join as, and, and anyone that joins either from business school or even undergrad in the marketing organization and brand management organization has to start at the same position. That position is an assistant brand manager. You're usually in that position from anywhere between 18 to 24 months. And then you, it's not necessarily a promotion because it's not a band level change for us, but it's the next step, which is a senior assistant brand manager. Okay. And again, in that you're anywhere in that position from 18 to 24 months. Again, this, these ranges obviously depend very widely ba- based on how you perform and how the business is doing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, then you become a brand manager. And then it's the same cycle within brand manager, two kind of rotations within that, um, about four to five years. Uh, then the next step is an assistant brand director. Again, two to three rotations, about four to five years again. Mm. And then after that is a brand director after or uh, yeah it's a brand director they've just changed the name to and then after that it depends on the organization but you could be a vp or general manager and then presidents um there's various levels of presidents and then all those presidents report into our ceo i see okay i would i mean i would imagine that the structure is sort of similar across most cpg companies I think a lot of CPG companies have this have a similar structure. I think yeah. what varies differently is um, the number of months or years that they spend in each level, and then how much responsibility they're given in each in each level. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, if let's let's say it's a more conservative company, it might be just slower. Uh, exactly. Okay. Or if it's not a very big company and they still have the same amount of levels, then you know your your ownership when it comes to the P and L level or the budget levels, etc., won't be as big. Right, right, right. And uh, another thing which I'm very curious about is, and again, because because I tend to associate brand as, you know, like a brand perception, something very external. How would you describe the brand of Tide or Fabricare? Pick any product you like. So in the eyes of the consumer or internally, how we would speak about it? Yeah, like as the brand manager, how do you describe the brand? And how is that? Is that different from sort of the vision of the brand? Yeah, I think it's different from the vision. And so so the way that I would describe uh, Tide is probably uh, the best cleaning performance detergent, laundry detergent in the market. Hmm. Uh, that's the easiest way to, to describe it. And there's just no product that can ever beat us when it comes to cleaning performance. Um, in the eyes of the consumers, I think it would be different. I think they would call it the most expensive laundry detergent. I don't know if they would necessarily <laughs> say best cleaning or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And, um, and I think the vision is different because, for example, the vision for a brand could vary from we want to be X million dollars big. We want to be in the mm. homes of X million people. Mm. It just depends on the brand, essentially, what the vision could be. I see. Okay. No, that's really helpful. And I'm sure that there's a lot of time spent on figuring out what attributes of the product do you want to emphasize in the brand. So like in your case, it's cleanliness. Absolutely. It could have been something else. Absolutely. Like, so yeah, I mean, yeah. an example of that is Gain, which is another laundry detergent in the P&G portfolio. Mm. Um, and, that, and that brand stands for freshness. Um, okay. Draft, which is another brand in the PNG portfolio, um, that that brand stands for the best detergent for your baby. So we have 
lot of different <laughs> brands that yeah. are in our portfolio, but they all stand for very different things. And that's kind of how we keep them in uh, segments that they don't overlap or compete with each other. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, do you think that you require a fair amount of creativity and not just a lot of analytical thinking to do well as a brand manager? I think so. I think that's where you really see some brand managers shining mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people can be taught to uh, analytical thinking. I don't think, I don't know if you can teach strategic thinking. Uh, I think you usually have a knack for it or not. Uh, but analytical thinking, you can definitely be taught. Uh, you can definitely be taught how to, um, you know, work in a cross-functional team. I don't, I don't think you can be taught how to be a leader, but a big X factor that we usually de- deal with is our creative aspects, right? So, the, you know, how do we show up in front of consumers and TV commercials? How do you deal with your, your creative agency, et cetera? Yeah. And I think you'll see a lot of brand managers that have risen up. Um, they usually have a knack for just an understanding of the consumer, which then translates into, I have a good creative gut. We, yeah. we usually call it gut. That means you have a good sense for which creative is going to do better than others. Yeah. I mean, this this might sound like a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but like how do you really develop an understanding of the consumer? Let's say in Tide, right? Like, are you washing clothes all the time with Tide? <laughs> uh, well, we, we aren't ever washing the clothes, but we're, watch, we're watching them wash the clothes. Although I, I do wash the clothes at home also. Me and my wife both share the responsibility. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I think it's 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 understanding what of the consumer based on, you know, do you truly understand what their needs are? Have you listened to enough consumers that you know what their pain points are and why they want to buy your product, right? Mm-hmm. And if you know that, then you understand what's going to appeal to them. Um, so, for example, in the case of Old Spice, if they didn't understand the consumer, then they would have constantly just kept on talking to the male consumer and said, hey, guys, why aren't you buying our product? Why aren't you buying a product? Go buy our product. Yeah. Not yeah. not knowing that it's the women that buy the product, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the, that's, that's the great thing about it. And then when it comes to the creative side, then, you know, it's, it's something you can't explain almost, you know, how to choose the right creative, but you almost just develop it over the course of your time period at P&G or in any brand management function. Uh, you just develop a knack for understanding, you know, will this work or not, right? What is the best practices that I know of? Uh, what have I seen work before? And what does my gut tell me? Do I, do I think like as a consumer, would I watch this and would I care about it? Would I want to share it? And if the answer is no, then I think you have your answer uh, right there. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, and I'm sure that the more time you spend in the industry, the more you sort of learn to recognize the patterns, which might not be so obvious immediately. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Otam. So I want to understand a little bit of your day to day now. So, I mean, you gave us a really good overview of what an end to end project might look like, which could span a couple of years or maybe a year. What about a typical day? What are the kind of things we might find you working on? So there's no such thing as a typical day. <laughs> but I think uh, if, if I think about the traditional, I'm, a, I'm in a non-traditional uh, brand management role right now. So I won't give you the day-to-day on that. But I mm. think in a, in a traditional brand management role, uh, on a day-to-day basis, you are most likely meeting with your creative agencies. You are most likely meeting with your cross-functional teams. Uh, you are most likely meaning with your uh, your manager, whether that's the brand manager, whether that's the marketing director, et cetera. Um, and you're most likely working on some kind of a, uh, analytical 
piece that is going to develop into a recommendation of how to move the business in a different way. Right. And so, you know, that we, we are usually assigned five projects at a time. And those five projects can kind of ebb and flow depending on the time of the year and whether you finish that project or not. So, you know, you might be speaking about one project for the first hour in the morning, then switch to another project and then switch to another project and keep on rotating throughout the day. And so oh, that's wow. why yeah. another good quality that we look for in brand managers are ability to multitask and kind of be able to handle a lot of different projects. Wow. So when you say five projects, do you mean five different brands? Not five brands. I mean, you're usually working on one brand at the same time, um, up, un, up until the level of a brand manager, at least. So an ABM and a brand manager will only be working on one brand. Hmm. But uh, above that, as an assistant brand manager, uh, a director and a marketing director, you will be working on multiple brands. Okay. But yes, as, a, as an ABM or as a brand manager, you'll be working on multiple vectors of that brand. So for example, uh, if you think about Tide, then in the morning, I could be working on how to market to our Hispanic consumers. And then in the afternoon, I could be working on our single unit dose products. In the uh, the next day, I could be working on um, how to amplify our social media platforms, right? Those are right. all different projects that I would have at one point in time. Right, 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 right. Okay. And actually, it's good that you brought up social media because one of the things I wanted to ask you is that, you know, brand management, as you've said, traditionally has been a lot of out at has been a lot about advertising on TV. But now with social media and, uh, you know, Snapchat and all of these things, do you think that the role of a brand manager has changed a lot? I don't think the role of the brand manager has changed. I think the the knowledge base of where the consumers are and how the brand has to interact with them on different platforms has changed. Mm -hmm. And that in itself has created a very different skill set, a different approach and different expectations from the brand manager. But the, expect, the, the, the role of the brand manager is always going to be the same, right? How do you manage the equity? How do you grow the P&L? Mm. And um, so even with the ascent of social media, it hasn't changed. But what's been interesting is seeing brand managers go through that process of learning more about digital, getting more familiar with it, <laughs> downloading Snapchat on their phones, yeah. right? like even like, those kind of basic things, right? So I think that transformation has been a very interesting transformation. Yeah, like and, does Tides have a presence on Snapchat? Or like maybe Snapchat is too much like Twitter? No, we actually do have a snap. We have really? a presence on Snapchat. We yeah, we have a presence on Twitter, uh, Facebook. Like, YouTube. what would you tweet about? <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm just curious. Well, so we 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 treat a lot of these social media platforms as mass distribution of marketing campaigns. Mm. Um, we used to be in a place where a lot of it was, you know, let's speak one on one or let's 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 be in the conversation of today. But even for example, Snapchat. It's a fantastic platform in the fact that it has a very different audience on the platform. It's a very mm -hmm. incremental audience to a lot of the other platforms. Right. So we use it as a way to reach out to consumers. And, you know, if these consumers are not going to be on TV, they're not going to be on, you know, reading magazines and they're not going to be listening to the radio, then we have to reach them somehow to be able to tell them about our brand. Right, right, right. No, I, I would be very curious. I'm, I am going to check out your channels just to see <laughs> what is the kind of content being shared over there. Okay, so uh, okay, so it sounds like on a day-to-day -day basis, you're spending a lot of time working with people from different teams, working on multiple projects, maybe part of the same brand. And so there's a lot of time spent in meetings and then maybe in PowerPoint and Excel doing some sort of analysis. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. Yeah, so what do you think are the most interesting aspects of this job? I, I actually think it's, a, it's exactly what I told you earlier of what caught me here. I, I absolutely love the 
the fact that it balances my strategic thinking and my creative thinking. It just, it, it keeps me on my feet, right? I think it, it keeps both sides of the brain uh, working all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I really like, and I think it might be because I'm partly schizophrenic, I don't know, but or maybe have ADD or something, but I love working on multiple projects. I, I think it, it keeps you fresh and stimulated, right? It, it can be uh, exhausting, but it keeps you very in, engaged in different things. Um, I, and I honestly, I think a big portion that we haven't necessarily spoken about is the people, right? I think mm-hmm. the CPG culture is very interesting and it's very, um, a lot of these companies have started as family businesses long, long ago, and it's a very welcoming culture. And so the people at my, at my work are actually a big portion of what keeps me here versus going to another company. So just like sort of the collaborative nature? Yeah, the collaborative nature, the fact that they actually care about U.S. people versus just, you know, being an employee. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Cincinnati also in general, just being a smaller town in the Midwest, I I think it's a a big reason why there's a family-like nature about the organization. Um, So it's, yeah, it's multiple of those things. Yeah. And also because, because you're, as a brand manager, you're sort of the owner of the success of the brand. It could get pretty stressful, I'm assuming, at times. (laughs) <laughs> extremely okay, yes, okay. <laughs> extremely okay. I think uh, you know especially certain brands versus others I think if you if you if you work on a flagship brand of, uh, of a 60 plus billion dollar company I think it, it can get slightly stressful at times yeah so can you share examples of uh, a stressful situation that you might have faced um, yeah I mean on a week-to-week basis, we look at our share reports, right? How do we do the week before that when it comes to actual sales, et cetera? And I think an ongoing stressful situation is if that report looks red the next, uh, on <laughs> yeah. Monday morning, yeah. then that's going to be a stressful situation because we didn't yeah. do enough the previous weeks to to get the sales that we needed to. And so if we don't feel like we are um, we're growing sufficiently or if we're losing in the market, immediately we start switching on to okay, what kind of plans do we need to put in place to reverse that trend? And I think that in itself is just stressful because of the quick turnaround times that are needed and the the level of analytical detail that's needed to go yeah. through and comb through to understand what exactly the issue was. And I think, you know, the the, the additional stress factor obviously in, in that situation is, you know, competition is, is after us all the time because we're the market leader. So because of that, there's a, a level of stress of, you know, it's a, it's a competitive right, nature right. in all of us, I guess, that just adds to that stress level. Yeah, you want to stay at the top. But exactly. I, I didn't realize that you guys are tracking things on a weekly basis. I mean, that's pretty... So you're trying to affect change on a week-by-week week week basis? Yeah, we are. We, uh, we, we get data on a weekly basis hmm. uh, when it comes to actual sales. And so we're trying to implement changes on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Okay. Um, when it comes to other things like how is our advertising performing, we get data on different, you know, uh, timeframes. So social media, we get data on a daily basis or, um, you know, TV, we get data on a monthly basis. So we're always trying to make, make the brand better. Right. And so whatever data points, we're a very data driven organization. So when whatever data points we can collect to understand what's working, what's not working based on that data, we're constantly making changes to the, to the, the, the right. in-market executions to make it better. Right. And so are there any aspects of the job that you just do not like? Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I have to be honest and, and say, yes, there absolutely are. I think the the biggest one, which you hear consistently across from any Procter & Gamble employee is we are a $65 billion company and, 
And with that comes a lot of scrutiny and a lot of levels of uh, management. And so it slows us down as a company. We're not as fast and as nimble and as agile as we need to be. Mm. So I think that in itself, the, the multi-layered, multi-faceted uh, organizational structure is, is something that definitely frustrates me about the work. Right. Um, I think the, the other thing that frustrates me is sometimes you always, you, you, sometimes you can't exactly pinpoint what happened, right? And I think that's the most frustrating thing as someone who's data-driven. What do you mean? You don't, yeah, you don't know exactly why, you know, for example, one week you did really badly in your sales report, right? Because there's so many macro plus micro factors that could impact it, whether it is, you know, the retailer just decided to put another brand in front of you. And um, that's just not mm. something that you can you can control, right? Because the, that's up to the discretion of the retailer. So those kind of things, you know, it's is when it's out of your hand. I think that's another frustrating part because you don't have direct access to your consumers um, because oh, we're going man. through the biggest distribution channels for us are through retailers. Oh, got it. Oh, yes. And I'm sure that can get pretty bad, right? Because, yeah, I remember that it's almost like an ongoing negotiation that you can have with the retailer that who gets the best shelf placement and who gets the second exactly. best and so on. Okay, yeah. And if you're talking to a large chain like Target or Walmart, a single, like every single day can make a huge difference. So Every day um, can make a huge difference. I think yeah. one event um, for, for a big customer is a long period of time, right? Uh, they usually sell in events for four to six weeks. Hmm. So if we've missed if we've missed that event or if we were, you know, second fiddle in that event, then that's going to take a huge impact to the business. Right, right, right. Yeah, that can be pretty bad, especially if you are the market leader and you're used to certain numbers. Exactly. Yep. yep. All right. So just a few last questions, more from the point of view of recruiting. So um, from in your perspective, what kind of person do you think would really enjoy working as a brand manager? So I think, like I mentioned earlier, I think there's um, a few skill sets that, uh, you need to exhibit, but I think that also translates into if you feel like you can, you know, master those skills. I think you would really enjoy brand management. And the the skill sets was strategic thinking, uh, analytical thinking, leadership, and cross functional teamwork. Right. I think those are kind of the four skill sets. We can teach you a lot of other things. Like we can teach you the creative portion. We can teach you, you know, um, how to work within the PNG processes. But we usually look for those four skill sets. And I think someone who's used to working in organizations that um, have those skill sets or has just inherently adapt- adapted to those skill sets, I think would enjoy brand management a lot. Yeah. I so- think the the other portion of someone that would really like brand management is. If you like to look and feel the product that you're creating and that consumers are loving and and appreciating every day, I think that's something that we you 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 will live and die for in, in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that's very special that you you don't always get to see you know consumer smile or thank you for products that you are taking to market that are impacting their lives, and I think that's just something really special. No, definitely. I mean, it's a good point that you brought up that if you are already in a role that sort of inculcates those qualities, um, brand management could be a very well suited role. So I mean, have you seen any typical backgrounds uh, that you've seen in brand managers? So we we actually have a very, very wide set of backgrounds in in brand management. Um, I think one particular group of people that I think always usually stand out for me, though, are previous consultants mm. and um, people because those you know, consultants are usually uh, made to think at a very uh, in a very structured strategic 
you know, uh, formats. Yeah. And they also have good analytical skills. And they usually, um, if they're not leading teams and working teams, they usually are working teams. But if they're not leading teams because they're junior in their career, at least they have the presence in front of clients and in front of That's partners, true. et cetera, that also starts building those leadership qualities. So I think consultants in general just form a good set of candidates for, uh, I think, in brand management. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, you know, we've had people from political science backgrounds. We've had people who are previous basketball players, you know, like oh, wow. we, yeah. mil- military player, uh, military um, veterans. There's people from very wide backgrounds that um, that's why, they, you know, PNG yeah. bolts it down to those four skills that they're looking for. No, and uh, generally, what is the interview like? Like, can you share examples of how you might test some of these qualities, like leadership? Yeah, I, I can't share exact examples because there's a, a very set format, and I actually I'm involved a lot in the recruiting process. But uh, what they do is they ask a series of uh, behavioral questions, mm-hmm. and the behavioral questions are in the you know I'm sure everyone's familiar with the star format. We actually call it the car format, which is the context, actions, and results. And you're supposed to answer in that format, and uh, they assess for the skill sets. And each question is tailored towards uh, finding out a little bit more about one particular skill set. And so, you know, the candidate is encouraged to understand what the skill set is that they're trying to determine, and then kind of focus on that in that question, that behavioral question. I see. I see. So you said car format, which is context, action, and result. Exactly. So it's very similar to the star format, right. which is the situations, tasks, actions, and results, but they've kind of combined the situation and task. Right, 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 right. right. Okay. So it's mostly a behavioral interview. And generally, I mean, is uh, is applying from school, whether you're an undergrad or business school, is that the best way or can you apply otherwise also? You can apply otherwise. Actually, there's a lot of positions available uh, which are not in the traditional recruiting cycles that are just-in-time hires that you know companies like P&G look for. So um, I would say that if you aren't in school right now, but you're you know either working somewhere or something else uh, you're doing in your life, I think I would always encourage you to look at the the site and see if there's a position open because I'm usually pretty sure that we're usually looking for people unless we have a hiring freeze or something. Yeah, I mean, if you're a consultant, as you said, you have the perfect profile, so you should definitely exactly. apply, right? But uh, is the best way to apply then on the website or a referral or something else? Yeah, so we don't do referrals. The best way to apply really is the website. When you uh, when you apply, the reason why uh, I, the website's actually a good way to apply is because when you do apply, they give you a test, an online test. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, you can find examples of the online test online also. But the online test actually... Um, tries to tease out certain qualities. Don't ask me how. I've got no idea how it does that. But um, that test actually screens out a lot of candidates for us. And therefore, the the candidates that are left are uh, few enough that the recruiting team actually goes through almost every profile and looks at the candidate. I see. Wow, this is the first company I've heard of that doesn't do referrals. And that too of the size of PNG, that's a huge company. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, to be honest, it, I've I've known lots of people that I think have been good candidates. There's no good way to refer someone in terms of, you know, through a system or anything like that. Um, you can always be encouraged to say, you know, will you look at this person's candidacy? But that usually doesn't work because they're usually looking at almost everyone's candidacy anyway. Hmm. So the referral system is kind of uh, not not existent at PNG. Okay, okay. No, that's good to know. And that sort of sets up a very equitable um sort of uh, competing place right for everyone absolutely yeah so it's merit-based yeah. Yeah. 
guests and uh, do you have any tips for candidates in terms of how they can stand out um i i, I don't think my tips would be any different from any other job you know i think it's uh, going to be making sure that you put your best foot forward in terms of showing the results that you've achieved in your life so far whether it is academic uh, professional or personal um making sure that that's very strong um from that standpoint um i think standing out to me also means making sure that you have um the right skill sets and you know exactly what the skill sets are and, and how to portray those skill sets and i think you know for me when it comes to candidacies i usually like to remember something about the candidate that's different and that's interesting mm-hmm. and you know so i don't i i i wouldn't undervalue that because at png like i said earlier the culture is about getting to know people and you know um you know collaborating so much that you get to know your employees so well and your colleagues so well that you know having something that you can relate to and that thing that makes you stand out is so important yeah so actually i want to touch upon that a little bit so as you said right i mean you've done a great job of telling us exactly what qualities png or you know even other cpg companies might look for so as long as you're illustrating those in your resume and your cover letter you're good but then you also want something extra which you know helps the recruiter or the hiring manager remember you so can you share examples of you know things that might have struck you from other candidates Well I'll give you my example. Okay, uh, yeah. I don't know if it I don't know <laughs> if it was uh worthy or not but um uh for example at the end of my resume I I had a bullet that said uh, I love cooking cardi rolls. I am a huge Real Madrid uh, fan uh-huh. and I've swum competitively on five different continents. Okay, so yeah. so I think those three things just in itself you know you either love food or you're interested in the fact that I swam competitively or you're a soccer fan in no real madrid i mean that that gives you three avenues to remember me hopefully so i think that in itself is just a interesting way of being able to relate to the candidate yeah and actually you know that those are great things to to talk about because they also sort of tie into the four qualities right because if you were on a soccer team you couldn't have, that means that you're a good team player exactly right so yeah exactly so, and it, it's it's a great it's a great way to tie into the leadership into the skills yeah. it's a great way to show your personality also yeah. and it's just a great way to just know someone um and you know be a little bit more intimately familiar with them yeah yeah i remember speaking to one of my uh, colleagues at my previous consulting role where he said that one of the most important sections for him in a resume is the additional information section because af- after a point everyone's resume looks the same if they you know they're from a good business school and all of that So exactly. Uh, yeah. And don't and don't waste that additional information space talking about how you know Excel or PowerPoint. It's just not <laughs> worth it. Yeah, I hope people are not doing that, but okay. <laughs> All right. All right, Udham, this was really really good. I mean, honestly, I'm like, wow, this is a great role. So, thank you so much for your time. And is there anything else you would want to touch upon or talk about? No, I mean, please consider brand management. I think we don't have enough people considering it in business school and even in other aspects of life. So, consider brand management if you really want to be a leader of a of a company and truly understand the whole product and understand how to go to market and how to own a brand. I think it's it's a fantastic fantastic role. So, I would highly encourage you to consider this uh this this job, I guess. Yep. And thank you so much Sonali. I really appreciate the time and let me speak to your listeners. Oh no, for sure. I'm sure they're going to be very happy with this one. Thank you, Uttam. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, so that was Uttam on brand management. Sounds like a really cool profile. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Uttam or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or you can tweet at us at led underscore curator. 
If you enjoyed today's discussion as much as I did, you should subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or TuneIn and a number of other podcast directories. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover and hit subscribe. And while you're at it, leave us a review. It really means a lot and it really helps a lot in the rankings. So leave a review. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learn, educate, discover. And you can check out our website at learneducatediscover.com where you can sign up to get email updates on all the great content that we are putting together for you guys. You can also find a list of all the past episodes as well as a number of other helpful resources. All right, so that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, adios.